This is Behind the DM Screen. It is June of 2018, and we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out, and that's all the intro you get. Uh, Sam is with us. Sam, say hello. Hello. And Mike is with us. Mike, say hello. Hello. And I am Jeff Greiner, as always. So, Sam, you were last last time, so you get to be first this time. Awesome. Uh, and you're going to get a few extra seconds because I have not pulled up the stopwatch yet. So go. <laughs> uh, so I uh, remember a very, very brief overview. I am running Tomb of Annihilation, but I'm doing my uh, kludge together, uh, running the tomb in eight sessions. <laughs> Uh, and trying not, to finish it. Not just it. the tomb, the entire the entire adventure, right? Yeah, the, the entire <laughs> thing. Uh, and uh, let me give you the the short story. Um, one of the characters died. One of the PCs died, and uh, I had an easy way to introduce that character, uh, that player's new character, uh, back I- into the tomb. And um, that character uh, took the spell dimension door. And the tomb does does uh, this thing where certain spells don't work correctly. And if you try to dimension door out, uh, or if you try to cast dimension door, it sends the 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 party to basically what is the refuse room. Uh, and so, spoiler alert: uh, the refuse room. Of course, what what if you're in a dungeon? What do you have living in your refuse? Owl room? bears. Nope. Uh, genies, gin. Nope. There's one. There's one of two things that could be in that refuse bin. It is yes. either a gelatinous cube or an odiug. Gelatinous cubes roam the hallways. Okay. Odiugs sit in the bottom of the cistern and. Odiugs plural. Oh, oh, oh. I'm saying as a group, as <laughs> as a type of creature, they sit in the bottom of a cistern or a, or a waste room and they consume the waste so that it doesn't overpower uh, the inhabitants of said tomb. In this case, there's one, but I only have three PCs in my parties, and and they have not rested since they entered the place, uh, and they and and one of them already. Uh, was killed anyway so here's the problem the problem is you can get out of there and my my players are playing very smartly and they got out but the way to get out teleports you back to the very first intersection t (laughs) Mm. it teleports you and so the waste room it's actually this really gruesome scene because it's basically a giant room that's that's about i don't it's like 50 foot by 50 foot square and it's 10 feet tall. It's got 10-foot ceilings. But the six feet of the floor is just covered in dead bodies. <laughs> Gnarled, nasty, half-eaten, half-kluged together. Because, you know, the other thing the tomb has is those really awesome tomb guardians, which are these really big Franken-monsters that mm. the dwarves stitch together from the body parts of of uh, of creatures that go into the tomb and get killed basically and ones that don't actually become viable tomb guardians just get thrown into the refuse room and so there's six feet of 
of bodies on the floor of this tomb and it's all it's so it's so packed with dead bodies and it has such a stench of of nasty dead flesh reeking that uh it's difficult terrain to move around in this place it's that it's that horrible disgusting and there's an odiag in the bottom of it looking for you know fresh meat um but when you get out of there uh the way to get out allows you to, to leave but you it teleports you back to that first t intersection but it doesn't just teleport you it teleports all living things in the room which means it teleports the odiug with you <laughs> and now the odiug is really pissed off because <laughs> you just took him out of the big dinner bowl that he lived in um but that's not the problem so actually they they got they had no problem with that either the problem is they're back at the beginning of the dungeon <laughs> <laughs> and you got to get through the whole thing in like a session or two and I'm trying to get them through the whole thing, and I've got one session left, and it's this Saturday. Mm. What what level uh, are they? They are now 10th level. They're about to level up to 11th, actually. Gotcha. How are you finding the difficulty of the dungeon when they're at that level? Are they steamrolling stuff, or are they uh, pretty well? I mean, there's only three of them, you said? There's three of them. So, you know, one Tomb Guardian and four uh, Dwarven maintenance worker guard guys is a, a pretty good fight for them. Okay. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, one of them has a flame sword, so uh, the Tomb Guardian isn't as bad as it could be. Right. Um, it's basically, it's a, it's a flesh golem, but it, it has armor on, so it has a really high AC. Mm. And the only real weakness it has, once again, spoilers, is that if you hit it with the fire damage, uh, it, it, uh, it, it's vulnerable. To, it's not really vulnerable to that, but that's the thing that does really good damage to it and doesn't allow it to regain any hit points or anything after it's been hit with fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they figured that out um, and, and, uh, and, and they make short work of those now, but they freak them out. When they see a Tomb Guardian with all the stitching and the Frankensteinian different color skin and different side because i i describe these guys really like they like the picture makes it look like this cohesive humanoid but i described this thing as wearing sort of this makeshift armor and you can see the stitching and you know one of the legs is like orc like so it's all green and got big uh joints and one of the arms is too short like it's from a halfling you know that kind of thing uh, and and it freaks them out. They really don't like that idea. And they caught the dwarves activating one of the tomb guardians, so they know that this is a completely generated creature, and they're, and they're really freaked out about it. The other thing that really freaks them out, which I really played up because the reaction the first time was really good, are the skeleton keys. I love the skeleton keys. Yeah, they because, look really cool. Yeah, they and they and basically anytime the PCs enter an area where there's a skeleton key, I just have them sort of see something moving out of the corner of their eye and when they look, they see a skeleton like crawling on the ceiling slowly away from the group. And uh, and if they pursue the skeleton, it starts going faster and faster, so they can never catch it. It's great, uh, but it freaks them out because they don't know what it's supposed to be. Like they they think of it as some sort of rodent, but it's a big giant humanoid skeleton. So, uh, <laughs> so those are really fun. Um, but uh, I don't know what I'm going to do to get these people down far enough alive uh, where they can actually complete this. I, I've got about four hours to do it, and I don't know that I can do it. I'm going to have to make some major changes. Um, but yeah. the tomb is really fun. I mean, so in terms of challenge, you asked about challenge. So the thing is, there's only three of them, but you know, the tomb isn't really about fighting anything. 
Um, it's about going through and figuring out how to survive the challenges. Right. It's it's not really a fighty tomb. The fighting in this adventure happens in Cholt with all the you know T Rex zombies that barf more zombies and the you know the the Terra folk who fly around the gargoyles in Omu who will attack you if you're you know trying to escape and um, you know all the factions in Omu regardless of the gargoyles. I mean there's a lot of fighting in this adventure but it's not in the tomb. The tomb is light on fighting. Now the fights there are there are good. I mean they're they're hefty fights. Uh, but the tomb is more about the puzzles and and trying to think their way through and figure out how to survive the challenge. Um, which is one of the reasons that it's going so slow for my group. Mm-hmm. Because there's really, you know, that uh, uh, I think, you know, oftentimes uh, if there's a challenge, a lot of people just decide, okay, we didn't solve it in time. Let's just fight our way through this because we couldn't figure out the puzzle. But in this adventure, you can't really do that. I mean, you could decide to go in a different direction, but of course, my my group is like, no, we're we should be looking at every room. There, we've got to find something, you know. Um, so a couple of really funny things happened. Uh, they finally get, they finally found some treasure, some magical treasure, and the one of the PCs got disturbed by this. He was like, "Oh, I got I I think it's cursed." He he got convinced it was cursed. I don't know why. I don't know if I, ga- I accidentally gave him like some kind of signal that he should think it's cursed or something. But he said, "Can I? You know, is there magic on it?" And uh, so the the the, ha- the elf detected magic and said, "Yes, it's got. It, I detect magic on this." And <laughs> so the the character dispels magic on the item and ruined the only good piece of treasure that they had found. Oh no! The whole time. <laughs> I mean, I gave them treasure uh, before. You know, I, I gave them some magic items because we I knew we were accelerating through this. But uh, that was just a funny scene because, you know, once he realized, oh, crap, guys, uh, I think I just dispelled magic on this. And it was probably the only good thing we've had. So that's a it's a great uh, oh, crap moment. Um, but uh, I, I'm having a ton of fun with this thing. But I just at the end of that last session when that happened, mm-hmm. and I realized when they escape from this this refuse room, they're going to go back to the first intersection. I just thought, oh, crud. It, it, it really has defied all of my sort of ways to finagle getting them down uh, to the bottom of the dungeon to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's, that's yeah. I mean – I love hearing your stories, uh, but in the interest of time, like the really big issue here is how do you get from the top of the dungeon to the bottom of the dungeon uh, in a four hour yeah. session? Like, well, and I, so what I had <laughs> done was I knew I was probably, I knew I was only going to have two sessions left. So at the, for my prep for the last session, which was last weekend, I had, mess around with the maps and I and I made it so that there's about five different ways for them to go down mm-hmm. and accidentally stumble down to the lower level mm. and about four other different ways uh, aside from those five that they could quickly skip levels two two and three so they could get down to level four and five or skip two three and four and get down but not accidentally do it that like on purpose they could find mm-hmm. different passages uh, and of course, they defied everything that I. I mean, you know, they I mean, just they did their own thing. Of course, that's just how it works. Sure, but. they they've gone from their current location to wherever it was that got them into the trash compactor. 
Um, which is what I've envisioned your your refuse bin as with the Otiug, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's actually the reference that was made because sure. I had Otiug send one of his tentacles up. You know, the Otiug tentacle has exactly. like three eyes on it, and it's waving around. And they're like, "Oh crap, we're not in here right. alone." You know, so so they they've they know how to get to where they were, and you were feeling okay about your chances of going from where they were to to the end. In well, the, the, well, not ideal. Is, oh, go ahead. The, the thing is, the reason he cast Dimension Door was because they had gotten themselves into trouble that they thought they were going to die. They, they didn't think they could get out. So they're not going to want to go back there. They're going to want to go was, around Because okay. I was going to say, you, you, could, you could sort of hand wave it. Like, you know the path. You, yeah. know, you know the challenges. You, 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 okay, let's just start from there uh, or start from just outside of there or whatever. You got a short rest in the, in the middle so you could heal up or, or whatever and see if they want to give it another go. Uh, which yeah, is not are, ideal. It's a little yeah. corny, but but in the interest well, the, of the, time. The, yeah, the other smart thing this that the new PC did was he was like, okay, we're going to have to rest in this dungeon. So he mm-hmm. took uh, Leoman's tiny hut so that they could find uh, an off-the-way, off-the-beaten-path area and cast that so they could have a long rest. And so they're actually going to be pulled up. Yeah, and that's fine. And And normally that would be a big deal, but you're trying to do the impossible amount of, of right. DMing in a four hour session. Like, like there's a, there's a I point know. where if they say I want to rest, you just say, yeah, fine, let's move on, you know, cause we got to move, right. you know? But the thing is, so here's, here's what I think is going to happen though. See, because there is really no hidden place that they could put it. Cause Leoman's tiny hut does not go into a pocket dimension. It just right. walls them off where they're at. That doesn't mean that nothing can be there when they, when, when the thing goes away, it doesn't mean they haven't been noticed. So I think what I'm going to have to do is finagle some way that Withers and the Tomb Dwarves can transport Leoman's tiny hut, mm. so that when when it goes away, when he dis, when he they uh, just you find know, them in a different place. When he dismisses it, they're not going to be somewhere that they recognize. Ah, that's a way of doing it. It's also worth noting there's there has uh, recently been a lot of conversation online in the in the Facebook group, the Five E mm-hmm. Facebook group about Liam and Sunny Hut. I don't. It might have been a month or two ago, or whatever. Uh, but my my PCs use it constantly, so I was uh, acutely like keen to oh oh let's let's clue in on this conversation right because yeah. there was the concern is like it's kind of a, a pacing killer that. that you know, wherever they are, whatever dungeon they're at, whatever threat they're at, the PCs can just sort of throw this this thing on them and, and get in a long rest. Um, yeah, mine are, yeah, mine are mine are using it a lot in yeah. um, the jungle itself. Right. I don't know what it'll be like in the middle of a dungeon. Well, and so guess, one, one, of is... the, one of the things that was pointed out, and I wouldn't want to use it often, but for this kind of situation, like you need something to work, right? Um, Leomine's Tunny Hut creates a dome. It does not create a floor. So right. any, anything that burrows can easily get in. Mm. Yeah, nice. And that might be yeah. an easy way to get to the PCs. Hey, y'all fell asleep or inside in, Leon's incorporeal. tiny hut. Can incorporeal stuff get in? Ghosts I mean, if they go them. if they go under. Yeah, right. Yeah. All the I floors mean, have cracks. Yeah, this is the, actually the first time that this party has used it. So um, yeah, I'll but, have to think about that. But that's yeah. a way of you, you could get to them. Like you don't even have to transport yeah. the whole hut. Maybe they all fall asleep and then they wake up and the hut's gone because something went underneath, grabbed them, and took them out. Right. So, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting conundrum. Um, I, I 
the more I run this adventure, the more I love it. I really do. It really fits my style because it has the wilderness part. It's got the dungeon part. It's got problems that I have to solve because it's not perfect, and neither am I. Right. right, I'm totally not perfect. I, in fact, I'm in the middle of writing my second blog post about this, uh, running this in eight sessions. And at each, at the end of each of my of my little segments, the title is, "Well, what could I have done better?" Because there's a sure. giant list of what I could have done better. Sure. Um, and I feel like to make it more instructive for my audience, that's the thing to do. You know, I. So Mike Shea was talking on Twitter the other day about when people make an appeal to authority by saying, "Well, you know, I've been DMing for 30 years." What does that even mean? Right. Unfortunately, what value is that? Yeah. Right. What value is it? Unfortunately, and I came to this conclusion a long Boy, time ago. Boy, did I get a bunch of crap about that. <laughs> yeah. But you, know, but you know what? Like, I came to the same conclusion you did a long time ago in that, you know, unlike studying something to become an expert in it, like most of us who are just hobby DMs that just, I don't make a living at this. This is just what I do for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point you reach saturation and you don't necessarily learn new things. Even right. if you're trying, like people get stuck in a rut. That's a human condition. Right. So 30 years of experience doesn't necessarily mean you're the best there ever was or that you don't have room to improve or that or anything like right. that. And so how is it an appeal to authority when it might just mean you're stuck in a rut? Well, or I you and I find a lot of times like I'm hearing the same advice that I've heard before, but right. I wasn't thinking of it recently and it, it spurred a new line of thought. So, right. so even hearing the same advice over and over again over the course of 30 years is still meaningful to me. So, mm -hmm. Right. And and that's the thing, right? Like, uh, in my opinion, the best GMs are ones that are constantly trying to learn, right? Um, or trying yeah, to right. be introspective and look at, well, how, could I make that better? How did or or that scene right there or that session that was so very fun? How did I facilitate that fun? Was that all the players or right. was that me? You know, and yeah. and what can I do to make sure that situation is created again or more often, so that my players can always be having that much fun because that was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't I don't think DMing for thirty years makes it so that you're the person that does that all the time. I, it no. just, you know, it's just not. You know, so much of the game depends on what players are at the table, what mood everybody's in. You know, how long it's been since the last session, who has a good memory, and you know, all of those things. So. It's really important to keep being introspective, but I, I'm not yeah. sure that uh, there's, all there's, that experience. Is it's it's cool. like the 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 ten thousand hours idea, right? Is uh, to become. Uh, I, really I got good a bunch of crap about that too. I yeah. can I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Malcolm Gladwell's a hack. Well, and there's some some legitimate criticism on his on his uh, findings there, but um, but but it's the concept is still sound yeah. that that you reach a point and and, and for DMing yeah. like you reach a point where. Um, where you, you're you've got it down, right? You're comfortable, and it might only be DMing for a year or two or three or five or whatever. But you've done it for a while, uh, and now it's just a matter of: Are you the kind of person who's constantly looking to do new things, or are you the kind of person who's like, "Okay, I got it. Now I'm just going to keep doing this stuff." Um, and and it's yeah. not even for me. It's not even about always being better. It's just how can I tweak the way I do things a little bit every session to keep it keep things interesting right. for each campaign or whatever to, how can I keep things interesting yeah so, so this was kind of my point in bringing that whole thing up which is that the years that a DM the years of experience that a DM has doesn't matter anywhere nearly as much as how they're learning right. what they're learning where they're getting it from all these other factors so that 
when somebody says something like, well, I've been playing D&D for 28 years and then says something else, it's like, that's fine. The person who's played for two years probably has a pretty good experience too. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and they're all worth uh, listening know, to. The, it, well, I mean, that, the, the, yeah. the thing is that you, you just like anything, you reach a point of diminishing returns, right? right? And some things start becoming second nature to you and you become really good at those. But sometimes when you become really good at something that closes you off to seeing how it could be done a little bit differently. Yeah. And that was that was my only point was I think it's a good idea to say, okay, what could I have done better? Even if you think you just hosted the most fantastic session ever. Okay, well, how did that happen? What could I do better? Or how can I make that happen again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but do you know what has value that never diminishes? Gunmetal me- gun Dice from EasyRollerDice.com. Oh, I love EasyRollerDice. <laughs> uh, I know you do. Man, uh, I would have been so much better at DM if I had EasyRollerDice <laughs> 35 years ago. I've been using right. EasyRollerDice for 35 years. Yeah, 25 <laughs> years I've been using EasyRollerDice, those metal dice. Um, yeah, I, what kind of what kind of, I know you have a set of their metal dice, Mike. What kind do you have? I don't have a set. I oh. have many sets. You have many sets. I have numerous. I have... I've, you know those dice tray? They have the best dice tray I've ever used. I, I, I use mine. I, I'm not a dice right. tray fan, but this one I love. I know, right. That's the octagon one with mm-hmm. the inner ring. Where you but I'm asking you dice. about your metal dice. What kind of metal dice do you have? We've talked I know, about I'm the, telling the tray you, God, before. Give me a minute. Okay. So <laughs> I, I have that octagon dice tray, which they sh- you should get. Why? Do they, are they asking you to pitch the metal dice? Is that the deal? No, no. I'm, just, I'm trying to pitch something different every time I talk about I know. them. And okay. I haven't talked but, about but metal dice But I have dice that yet. octagon metal one. And all of it is metal dice. I have I have I have enough metal dice from Easy Roller that oh, it fills that entire thing. Yeah, and I, I have five metal D20s in there. Do and you have any of the awesome. gun metals? They're great. What's that? Do you have any of the gun metal? That was the latest ver- one that they that they made. But... Yes, I'm sure I have gun metal. That's like yeah. the dark gray. The dark gray. Yeah, I really yeah. love it. I have like... a bunch. Of, I have a bunch of dark of gun metal dice. Yeah, because, and, because I think I've got two or three sets. The numbers White, on it, the, the painted numbers on it, just really pop. Yeah, it's super right, easy right. to read. Yeah. The, um, the gunmetal with white is super easy to read. Really nice. And I've, I've, got, the, with I've got the red and adore it. Yeah. So they're great. They're great dice. Yeah. yeah. And everybody that's like worried about dice being imbalanced because they're metal and they're heavy, it seems to me that the, the odds of them being unbalanced in a meaningful way would go down. Sam, would you agree with that idea? Say that again? The, like heavier the die, the less likely it is to be swayed towards any one side because it would have to be swayed in a tremendous amount of weight to pull it a certain way. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure about the physics on that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure the physics will support that because a body in motion stays in motion regardless of its weight. The, yeah, I mean, it just takes it longer to stop. It seems I don't like a know. light. Like if you were to if you were to just slightly weight a light die, it would be more likely to be pulled by that weight. Like it. it but a. But, yeah, I mean that seems true, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But let's just but say I yes. love them. I love absolutely the dice. Yes. That's, that's absolutely true. I will say this about the plastic <laughs> dice. Another product that 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 Jeff didn't want to talk about. But uh, no, I did the, do the salt. I did do the salt check on their on their plastic dice, and uh-huh. they were weighted much better than other plastic dice that I had. Yeah, and and, they, and they, I, they, I actually like the the feel of their plastic dice more than than other ones. So, but I don't use plastic dice. I use all metal dice. See, I only have the I only have one set of the metal dice and a, and a D, and an extra D twenty. Uh, and those are always my first go-tos, and then you know I, I supplement with other things. But yeah, the one thing I need more six-siders. I don't have enough six-siders. I lied. I don't have all metal dice. I got a bunch of spare sixes in there. There you go. Anyway, they're fantastic. They're forty-four dollars. They're coated, not painted, so they don't chip. 
Uh, and they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you get them, you, you play with them for a little bit, you decide you don't like them, you can always send them back, no questions asked. Uh, Super nice people, too. I've I, I, have, yeah, they're pretty people. I, have a, I have a quick question. Do their D6s have pips or numbers? Numbers. Ah, oh, darn. Oh, pips. <laughs> you want the Please. old school. I love pips. No, nothing else has pips. It's like having D4s where the numbers are in the wrong orientation. Uh, I, my D4s are 12-sided with Roman numerals on them. Oh, that's a good... Yeah, I've got... <laughs> has those. That's what Easy Roller needs to make. Well, yeah, there you go. You make that suggestion to him. Well, I In any case, people should check him out. EasyRollerDice.com. Uh, go buy some dice. Oh, my. I have to tell you about the great dice I just got. Plated gunmetal dice that will never chip and feel awesome in my hand and come in a sweet case and they're solid and they're heavy and they're awesome and they roll crits and max damage whenever I really need it. Results may not be the same for all gamers. And I store them in this incredible wyvern pattern reversible microfiber dice bag that holds about 5,000 sets of dice while making every single person at the table totally jealous. Number of dice held might be slightly lower for most users, but everyone will be jealous. And the dice tray. Let me tell you about the incredible dice tray. It has a leather cover and a lid, and it's lined in felt, and has this astounding, like, foil design of a tentacled creature that's going to reach right out and, and, and devour everybody. And it has the staging area on the inside so all of the other dice can watch and see what happens when, when the dice that I'm rolling mess up. And then when I roll on this thing, the GM usually just completely gives up. Your GM... Well, no. This one holds up. Where did you get all this stuff? EasyRollerDice.com has all of this and more. Check them out today. And when you buy something, let them know that the Tome Show sent you. All right, we are back, and it is my turn. We're going to make Sam, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Sam, whoever your name is. <laughs> We're going to make Mike go last. He's going to so, sleep. So here's the thing. Uh, you may remember from last month when we chatted that uh, I had just played a session of my D&D game. They had gotten to this haunted caravanserai thing. Uh, it was actually not haunted. It was a bunch of uh, genies that were pulling a fast one on them. And they triggered like a super combat where every, every enemy uh, in the caravanserai that was working for the genies came out at once in, in, in various waves and phases. Uh, and then we got about halfway through it. The big bads, the Efreets, never even made made an appearance yet. And then we had to stop because uh, time was up for the, the session. Uh, it has been at least a month and a half, possibly two months since that session. And we have not gotten back to that yet. <laughs> oh. um, the, this time of year is is always tricky. Uh, people have stuff going on over, over you know in the spring and as the summer hits, and I'm at the end of my school year, so I'm barely keeping it together. Are you going to spend 20 minutes making excuses? No, uh, that was it. That was oh. all my excuses. In fact, I would have been done except you had to interrupt. Well, yeah. <laughs> so so point being, um, I have we haven't gotten back to that session. Uh, the, the minis are still on the map that are still sitting out on the table. I've kept my, my kids away from it, so it'll all be ready to go when we came back finally. I think we're finally going to get to play again uh, this weekend uh, and come back to that. 
Um, I had people come uh, that wanted the game, and they're like, I don't care if not everybody can be here. Or I don't care if we're missing uh, most of our people. Let's come together and do one-shots. And we played a lot of Torg Eternity um, in that time. Every time every time we got people who uh, – when I, whenever I can only get three people, three players to come, we set D&D aside, and, and Torg Eternity has become our one-shot game of choice. Um, and it's been fantastic. We're just – we're absolutely adoring it. Um, we started – most recently, we started the the – uh, day one for Isle. Isle is the high fantasy setting. Uh, they they start with they go, put that one fairly early on purpose, um, because it's high fantasy and it feels familiar to you know your D and D sort of players. Um, and they were s- completely freaked out because all of a sudden the world becomes a fantasy world and there's dragons flying overhead and they're in London and they're the dragon is is in a fight with um, some fighter jets who are up there shooting it with machine guns and whatever. And meanwhile, they're down below trying to save kids off of a bus that's about to uh, fall into a crevasse and, and save people who are being grabbed and pulled down to the tunnels by these weird creatures and whatever. And all that's going great. And that, then, like, at one point, like, one of the plane, the jets crashes in the middle of Trafalgar Square where they're at. Uh, and and then the, the dragon lands and its wing is broken from the fight and it's, it's got uh, fiery blood pouring out of its mouth from the... the, the the wounds that it's in, endured from the the fighter jets, and it's it's you know all right. So who's next? And then and they're like, oh my gosh, like we literally just turned into heroes one encounter ago, and now we have to fight a dragon. And and like Torg does that, and it's awesome, right? And they can win because you know the dragons hurt. I let him pull off a crazy thing. Oh yeah, part of the fighter jets totally still functional, and one person snuck around. Uh, and use the fighter jet's rocket and actually, you know, hit the the dragon in, in the back with a rocket and, and finally finished it off and whatever, right? Be- because Torg, like, encourages that kind of insane, crazy cinematic feel. So my inclination is when they come up with a crazy idea with that is to be like, absolutely, that's a thing you can do. Or I, I present options like that to make it feel crazy and wild and cinematic and something you would see in a, in a I don't know, Bruce Willis movie or something. So anyway... We've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> so um, We also finished off the Living Land uh, day one. I think I told you about the day one concepts before, maybe. Do you remember that? No? No. Okay. <laughs> so uh, maybe – I'm pretty sure I've told you about Torg before and, and the idea of Torg is that um, our Earth is being invaded by all these different realities. Uh, the main sort of setting takes place like I think it's 90 days after the invasion of those realities and things have sort of settled in. Um, but then they have this series called the Day One Adventures where you actually start as a normal person. The reality wave hits from the invasion and you turn into the heroes and whatever right there in the middle of the – of the encounter and you get to see what happens when the invasion actually happens. Uh, but it's specifically set up um, not just to introduce you to the setting and the world and, and the conflicts and all of that, but it, uh, it, it's the system as well. Like each one has a, has little sidebars in it for DM saying, hey, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen in this encounter. This is how you run it. These are some reminders. So it's a really good way to, to sort of learn the game. And, and my players have been having a blast with it because it lets you do crazy things like that. So... So that's been that's been what we've been playing, Torg Eternity. Uh, meanwhile, uh, like I said, in two days, uh, I think I finally get to go back to that that D and D encounter that we're in the middle of, uh, and so that's a bit of a trick of how do we get back into an encounter that we were in two months ago uh, and still make it feel like it was, 
And one of the players that came to one of the one shots mentioned, oh, hey, remember back when we were doing that whole India thing and we saved this um, this immortal being, right, Who, which turned out to be this triumvirate of, of Hindu gods, including Shiva, uh, the god of destruction. And at the end of that, they were each sort of given um, a boon or a blessing or whatever. And the idea was you may call on each of the three aspects of this god or these gods uh, one time. Uh, for aid. Uh, and so they're in the middle of this this big genie fight and they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way we can go through this. We haven't even seen the big bad yet. And, you know, the spellcasters are out of spells and the people with hit points are, are getting worn down and whatever. Uh, and so one of the players is like, oh, I figured out what, how we're going to get through this. We're going to call on our blessing from, from Shiva. And so I had to figure out, okay, so if they do that, like I never had a plan as to what that would actually mean <laughs> when I gave it to them, right? Um, it was just a, a plot device. Let's let's throw out seeds and see what grows, you know. Um, so when he said that, I'm like, okay, well, I should figure out what that means. You know, Shiva's a god of destruction. You you get the the boon from a god of destruction. It can throw down. Um, so my my thought right now is, if they decide to call on the the aid of Shiva, then. Um, Shiva will basically show up and be like, all right, cool, I'm here. Uh, here's my mantra, right? Shiva has a specific mantra, uh, and it has five parts. And so the idea will be, you know, this mantra has five parts. I'm going to tell you what it is real quick. I need you to assign each part to an enemy. And then each part that you assign to the enemy, Shiva just destroys in one way or another, right? Just outright kills five enemies, uh, which I imagine will... Um, not end the combat because there's more than five opponents, but certainly uh, take some of the pressure off them. I th- I'm hoping that that will feel epic enough for them. Thoughts on that part? Sing. What did you say, Mike? It's, I'm sorry. I was, I was turning my mute off. Oh. It sounds interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so so that's what I'm looking at there. And then, um, Then I want to get back to Out of the Abyss, and I kind of want to start moving fast. Um, I'm thinking that I have probably, uh, assuming my job hunt is successful in the next year or so, um, I probably have less than a year left with them, and I would rather wrap up the campaign a little early and then, you know, play one-shots of other things or whatever uh, in the intervening time, and I think they would have fun with that too. Mm-hmm. So I want to move fairly quick once we get back to Out of the Abyss uh, and not add a lot of extraneous stuff. But I did kind of have one extraneous thing that I had planned between where they are now and going back to find uh, – what's his name? Uh, Vizaron or Vizarin, the, the drow wizard from Out mm-hmm. of the Abyss. That, I guess you didn't play that part. but uh, No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that part. But he's the one who's like, oh, yeah, I've, I figured out the formula and, and figured out how to get rid of all the demon lords, um, you know, but I give me some time and then come and come and find me and I'll tell you about it. So they know that they, they're on like a, a 36 hour time limit to go find him. They got some stuff to do, but I'm going to start making some pretty heavy use of, of teleportation circles to, to bump around and, and do things quickly, I think. Uh, and move through some of that a little fast. And and there's one sort of side quest left that I wanted to do a little bit more with bef- between the Caravanserai and um, getting back into Out of the Abyss. And, and that's I want to try to get the Barbarians player um, some spotlight time because any time I've tried, it has not – like he's not really been that interested in it. 
Um, and he's the kind of player who largely likes he likes to be part of the group and sort of hang out and do his thing and doesn't usually like a lot of spotlight time. But it occurred to me like I've tried to spotlight him by do by adding layers that are not sort of innate to who the character is, right? Um, so I have this idea to to um, have him in the midst of this combat with the genies feel this calling like this this drumbeat in his heart sort of thing and then um create some lore that this this is a, a calling that your people believe in and and when you hear it when you feel it you have to you have to attend to the needs of your people and there he's there and the people need a new champion and it's between him and one other person so they have to do this you know this very you know truly sort of barbarian, stereotypical sort of, you know, fight to the death at the top of a mountain sort of thing, right? Um, and then what the, the the secrets that he learns upon becoming the champion, uh, assuming he wins, are, hey, so your people all along, the reason they've done so well in this much more advanced world than them, you know, as, as nomadic barbarians, is actually because, you know, centuries ago, they made a pact with the Queen of Chaos. Um, and the Queen of Chaos... Uh, protects us, but th- the bargain is our champion, anybody our champion kills, their soul automatically goes to the Queen of Chaos, which she uses to turn into her demons and things. And the Queen of Chaos is the lieutenant of Mishka the Wolf Spider, who is the ultimate big bad of the whole of the whole adventure. So I'm hoping that maybe that will add a wrinkle to the barbarian. That's barbarian-y, right? It's all about mm-hmm. like killing things and single combat and, and all that kind of stuff so that maybe it'll it'll spur some interest from him. So um, but then I gotta get get back to out of the abyss fast. So because I, <laughs> I wanna make make it interesting for him. I, I I've spent ten years trying to find a way to get this player to, to really like find some story about him that's that's interesting to him. Um, and so I'd like to try to see if I can pull that off here. So mm-hmm. So that's my plan right now, and then yeah, then I just want to keep moving and, and go quick. Um, I mean, not like Sam through the Tomb of Horrors quick, but you know, I expect that that over the next over the next nine months or so, I'm going to have uh, more than once that I'm going to have to cancel a game because I'll be busy doing you know d- dissertation stuff and what have you. So, uh, and I win for the most succinct and, and fastest conversationalist. Unless you guys have three it, minutes worth it, of questions. All it took was you not playing D&D. Yeah, all it took was me not playing <laughs> D&D for a month and a half. Hey, but I had other games I played. Yep. I could talk more about Torg, but you guys don't ask questions, so I, I guess you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about the, the, the after-school gaming group gaming session, but we wrapped that up, and it's, it's, it's been done for about a month now. So. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm going to stop my time. With two minutes and 30 seconds left, which is fine because we went like five minutes over on Sam. So. Uh, I was talking about a topic that was broadly. It was broadly uh, like, yes. appealing, yes. Interesting topic. I agree. All righty then. Uh, we will move on. But before we let Mike talk, I want to encourage everybody, if you want to support the show but you are not really interested in buying dice from EasyEarl or Dice.com right now, uh, there's other ways you can support the show directly. You can go to Amazon uh, through our affiliate link at thetomeshow.com. You can also get to the DMs Guild through the affiliate link. 
at thetomeshow.com. Either of those, we get a little bit of that. Uh, and I try to use the DMs Guild money to uh, get review products for when we're discussing stuff on the show. I use the Amazon money to to help say thank you to all of the people who contribute to the show. Um, so all of that gets split up amongst all the other producers and editors like Mike and, and Sam and, and anybody else. Um, so that's where that goes. And then, of course, you can also support the show directly through Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. So that's us. If you want to support us, that's how you do it. All right, Mike. I guess you can talk. All right. Uh, so as you both know, I am playing Tomb of Annihilation. I am playing with two different groups. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're kind of at different points, but because it's a big open-ended game, I, they might end up close to the same place at the same time. Mm. Uh, my Sunday group is the group that, uh, got, that defeated the vampire pirates and got their own ship and then built their own resort, um, over on, what's that? Of course they did. Yeah, of course they did, and uh, they, they've they've got their own base of operations, but they are now back into the jungle, so they are off and um, heading towards Omu, but they did get distracted by Crackhammer, the uh, albino dwarf mine, so they're heading to Crackhammer. They know that there is a red dragon named Tinder flying around there. Uh, they just went into it, and that's fun because... You know, there's the crack hammer and the book has a nice, real beautiful map and, and it's all well articulated. So it's easy for me to run. Um, it might be easy for them because they're I think they're level seven and it's filled with like CR one quarter and one half guys. Uh, but then they'll get to a dragon and that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, their job is to sort of liberate the mine because they will be able to set up uh, mining operations that will help fuel their new base. So that whole sort of like building up their base is, is a lot of fun. Um, and th- they're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. You know, that's all, that's all, that's all great. Uh, and I, I've been kind of slow rolling a little because I didn't know what the next, uh, you know, when the next adventure was going to come out. And now that huh. we know, now, now we know, know it's coming out in September. So we'll be... Um, We'll probably be switching over to that when we're done with Tomb of Annihilation, which will probably take us till September, considering they're not even in Omu yet. I'm not doing the the, the Sam Dillon finish it off. Yeah, in those sessions. and 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 that was. I mean, one of the things about Tomb of Annihilation is like getting like the process of exploring the jungle and finding Omu and doing all of that could take months. Yeah, and then you get there, and it's like, oh, but now you have like. And three equal, big ass and, places. An equal, yeah. if not larger, set of a number of months to get through the city and the dungeon. And yeah, like there's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, right. Like the dungeon's five levels deep, right? Or six yeah. levels deep. So it's really big. Um, yeah, so that that's all fun. They, they, they know a fair bit. Like I always try to like dole out little secrets and clues that they discover each session. And the problem is, like I've been doing so many of those that they know a lot about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did, you, you know, the big, uh, this is a big spoiler alert for Tomb of Annihilation, so if you're playing in it, stop listening. Um, but I have been giving hints to both groups about what the, about the Atropol, about the, the idea that there's this, you know, dark creature that uh, Aserarach found out in the darkest reaches of the Astral Sea, and he brought it here to fuel it with souls. I think that's a good call. I don't know exactly other, Otherwise, it's this weird, it. yeah. it's this weird, right. like, villain at the end that never had anything to do yeah. with anything. yeah. So, you know, there's an advantage in kind of going and reading the, the adventure and, and sort of jotting down what the clues are. And they already know about the trickster gods and they know about, you know, a, like a Sarak building the tomb. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of doling out. the. I'm trying to make this sort of tragedy of Omu, 
you know, that there was a city that was once the, the splendor of the land, but then they sort of succumbed to greed and slavery mm-hmm. and everything else and then ate themselves. And then, you know, Ubtel left them and then the trickster gods came in, but the trickster gods are real dicks. And and sure they worship them, but they're not really gods. They don't really give them anything, but they demand a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just and then like after they're at their lowest point and they're now considered the forbidden city, that's when a Sararak shows up, mm-hmm. right? And it's like your gods are nothing to me, and now you're all my slaves, you know. So it's it's kind of a neat story about the fall of of Omu. And have have See, either of your I, groups been I to I the felt... Arakakra? So, sorry, have, one at a time. Okay. Have either of your groups been to the Arakakra? No, uh, my Wednesday group just met some Arakokra, uh, who, I don't know how you pronounce it, who uh, said, hey, if you want to come, you can visit our place, Kirisabal or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The problem is they're on the west side of the island. Both groups went the west side. So, and, okay. and, the, and Kirisabal is up on the east side. Yeah, so I don't know no. if they're going to make it And I'm just there. thinking, because at that location, there's opportunities to, to seed more of that sort of feeling that you're talking about for Omu. Oh, is there? Is there more? Because the, the, yeah, because the princess, the the current heir to the leadership of mm-hmm. uh, of of Omu, the the current prin- she's a princess, but really she would be the queen if she seized power huh. that belongs to her and, and her brother, uh, yeah, and her brother. And they're, um, they're are they Arakokra? Are they no. people hanging out there? No, they're humans. They're huh. basically they're refugees being being supported by the Arakokra. Gotcha, okay. I'm so when, when the whole fall of Omu happened, they were secreted away and gotcha. taken away, and, and whoever the the ruler of Omu was uh, was friends with the Arakokra, and so the current leader of the Arakokra is still protecting them. Gotcha. Um, They're still alive? Didn't this all happen 100 years ago? Yeah, well, that's why, I mean, this is a, a young, I mean, I'm sure that the person who, the, the, the this person's mother and grandmother, right? Yeah, right. So this is just a living heir. Gotcha. Uh, who's probably never actually been to Omu. Yeah. In, yeah. in a lifetime. What yeah, I, was so I don't, say I don't was, think, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sam. I, I uh, the way I seeded all that stuff was with flashbacks while they were going into Omu sure and and when they were in the uh the going to some of the tombs and then they you know they like interacted with some grungs and had some like hallucinatory things from the grung <laughs> skin and like they so they learned all were they, this were they stuff. licking toads they were not <laughs> the grungs don't like that when you do it directly you know so so, <laughs> so that's so i kind of had the same issue where i felt like in the book that backstory that only takes up about a page mm. is really really cool the way yeah. that it's presented and but to weave that in takes right. time and, and, yeah. it's, and, and it's not look, done I'm not even sure yeah i'm not even sure sam dylan's gonna finish this whole tomb of annihilation thing in eight sessions yeah right yeah. <laughs> um yeah so both groups are having a good time there's a lot of jungle exploration i'm, I'm sort of getting you know i knew that i'd get here but i, I wanted to I wanted to really give it a good go, which is the whole hex crawl. And in some cases, it's like, well, it's 28 hexes between where they are and where they're going. And like, are we really going to do this? But a lot of fun has come from that. I had like a scene where they're traveling through a, a, a small valley, not a crazy big valley, when they run into flying monkeys. And the flying monkeys, like, you know, one of them flies by and steals a deck of someone's favorite cards. You know, and then they have to chase the monkey around. The monkey's flinging cards at them while they're zipping around. It's little fun scenes like that that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily like big. You know, you're attacked by a, a, an appropriate challenge rating of guys. 
Um, I try to, you know, if I have a session where it's like basically all exploration, I, I try to say like, okay, well, I am going to have like one set piece that they'll run into. So last night, this is my Wednesday group who has not yet run into any of the vampire pirates. Um, and uh, that is the first time they've seen them. So they fought a, a vampire and a bunch of ghoul assassins uh, at a uh, old arcane Omuian shrine that had been defaced by uh, Batari goblins. So when they got there, goblins are harassing these two refugees, these two mm -hmm. people that, that kind of got stuck there. But the refugees don't care about the goblins. They're worried about the vampires that are out there. <laughs> like they escaped from, you know, they're crew members of a ship and they escaped. Uh, you know, probably about 15 people escaped, but only two of them actually survived. Mm -hmm. And these ghoul assassins and vampires are kind of hunting them down through the woods. So they, they, they got attacked. And that was a nice, big, fun Dwarven Forge set piece fight. Um, and my only problem with that is I did not think about the challenge ratings right. So I wanted the vampire thing to be really hard. And it was pretty easy because ghouls really aren't that high level. Even when you give them like sneak attack and stealth. Um, it, they're, they're still not high enough level to really challenge. The, the, the characters are level 6 at this point. And as soon as they get over level 5, they can start to take out these low CR guys pretty easily. So mm -hmm. I should have thrown either 12 ghouls instead of 5 uh, or more vampires. Yeah, I can't go wrong with more vampires. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that whole I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in sort of the quick encounter building guidelines, uh, which are pretty easy to keep in one's head. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't, you know, I kind of didn't use them myself at the time, and I wish I had. Like, you know, CR one, that's going to be under, you know, if, if you if you've got a challenge, if you got level six characters, a challenge rating three monster is roughly the equivalent of a single level six character. My system's easier. How is it easier now? You just do whatever? Uh, I think this seems about right. I'll throw that at him, and then if it's too yeah, easy, so, oh, there's another wave. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, like, you know, a, late in the night, and I already had done a wave, because they had a bunch of goblins they fought right. first, so they're all, and, which is nice. Like, they fought the goblins. The goblins I knew were going to be easy. And then all of a sudden, they look, and here's this, like, ghoul who literally snuck up on somebody. Like, a ghoul snuck up on me, and it's all like, bandaged up, and, you know, it's got these twin bone-bladed knives, and, uh -huh. and, then, and then it missed with every attack. <laughs> so, <laughs> Really kind of lame. Like it's to try to stab a guy. Well, like you know what? A... Sometimes, sometimes that's work. Right? Sometimes and it was a small, right? It's a small vampire hunting. Yeah, I say sometimes that fight happens, and sometimes it's way too easy, and you let the heroes feel like heroes, and that's fine. We're fine with it. It, it. it wasn't so much that they felt like heroes. They just like, hey, I thought this guy was going to be a lot harder, which is always like the thing you don't want to hear. Um, just, but it's fine when, and, when and, it's. And, when it's overly easy like that, I try to ramp up my description of just how badass the characters are. Well, like how bad it could have been. The other thing is vampires in this, like, I feel kind of like it's cheating because vampires, if they bite attack you, will drain your life and you do not get those hit points back in Chult. Uh, so it's like, that's really devastating. <laughs> so you want to be careful with that. So there was high risk. Yeah, because, you know, I forgot that with the, with the death curse, uh, you don't get back your hit points after a long rest. If they were drained from you. Um, I did kill a character. Did, did we talk about this already? Mm, uh, so I, maybe? I had a birthday. It was my birthday last month. And I had a nice, fun birthday game where I set up a big, a big nice Dwarven Forge. You're 27, right? Yeah, 27 years old. Feeling, mm -hmm. feeling every year of it. And um, they, another friend of mine who has a birthday in the same day uh, came and... They're going around the tomb and everything's fine. And they saw this door that had this handprint on it and these four weird glyphs. And they cleared out the whole place and killed all the bad guys that were there, a bunch of specters and wraiths and stuff. 
And then he's like, yeah, I run and put my hand on that handprint. And I'm like, you're hit by, you know, 67 points of necrotic damage. And he's like, I only have 52 hit points. I'm like, you are dead. And he's like, why? Not even zero. I'm like, it was necrotic energy. It drained your life. So I killed his character on on his birthday. (laughs) Do you ever, I know you've done this um, with other campaigns or whatever, when you're in the same story with different groups. Do you ever, like, have things from one affect things from the other just to no because they're not in the same world right like so nobody would know but you it'd just be a, it'd just be a yeah. cool reference to mike yeah and and i actually kind of wish i had changed things for the wednesday game because now in morden canaan's there's some awesome shatter kai mm. and rather than vampires it would have been cooler if it was shatter kai pirates yeah see it was what, what made me think of it was the the vampire pirates because i'm like oh well you dealt with vampire pirates in the other group right Right. So, so maybe these guys are running through the jungle because they've been kicked out of their their. Yeah, ship the problem whatever, is like know? both groups are going to end up in Omu, and then what? You know, like well, you, no. You can't so, really... I mean, so you have those little those little cameos or whatever, and then when the big when when the interaction would happen, you just no, it's a different world. It's just, just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's something. But I'll, you know, I also for my own entertainment, I want to change things a bit. Right. Sure. I want things. I, I kind of like the idea that there are certain things that are in play, but because the groups are doing it differently, the outcomes will be different. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that happened in Storm King's Thunder, too. Like both groups were off on different paths and it changed the nature of the story. And mm-hmm. that that's what made it fun for me to for me to play. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Uh, I am, you know, I'm kind of ready for them to get to Omu. And especially if what I hear, like if it's going to be another you know, if from the time they come to the front door of Omu to the time the adventure is over, if that's still if that's you know four months, then it's probably time for them to well, get. Well, and to I'll Omu. be curious to hear how that goes for you because like the adventure up to then spends a lot of time moving, and then yeah. you get, then you get to Omu and it's like, and then we're going to spend an equal or greater amount of time just sitting still, turn, turn and, by turn. Yeah, yeah, and I could I could see how that could get. Uh, tiresome for right. players uh, as well. So I'll be curious, and, and maybe not. Maybe you're constantly making progress, and it doesn't feel that way, and whatever. But I'll be curious to to hear yeah. how how yeah, we'll it plays out for you. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I, I have no idea. We'll find out. Right. So there's there's one interesting thing I wanted to mention. I, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier today, and I, I talked to I talked to my wife about it. And one thing, so Matt Colville um, posted a tweet recently. Right? He's he's the one that got the the two million dollar Kickstarter. And basically started a new business where he's going to stream D and D games. And he mentioned on Twitter that he, how how interesting it was, or how how freeing it was to have an entire day where he could do nothing but plan his D and D game. Yeah. Right. And and for him, it's like a product, right? Like he's he's making him him preparing a game is not just him preparing a game; it's him doing the thing that his new business is going to do. Right. Um, but I still thought, like, wow, you know. Especially from me, where I'm like 15 to 30 minutes is is you know what I spend preparing a D and D game ahead of time. It would be what would it be like? Like what would you spend your time on? Mm-hmm. And I decided today, like you know what I'm gonna do? Like when I've got all that new fancy Dungeon of Doom, Dwarven Forge stuff in because I, I backed their last Kickstarter and started mm-hmm. the ship. You know when I have all that in hand, I'm gonna take a day off. I'm gonna take a Wednesday off before my game, and I'm gonna clear my schedule of everything and i'm gonna just spend a whole day preparing a D game and then record the results for science see i feel like i've had i've had that before like there's been points in my life where i've just i just had a saturday and i did nothing but prep uh, i had no plans but i need to prep for my game right right and what ends up happening is 
I end up wasting a lot of time and watching shows and hanging yeah, out. That's, that's what I want to say. And then I did like an hour of work in, which is more than I normally would have. But, right, you know, right. yeah. When I asked people, I, I posted it both on Twitter and on Facebook. And I said, you know, if you had an entire day free of obligation to work on your D&D game, what would you do? And like most of the results were I'd probably dick around for eight hours and then panic and then make a game in 30 minutes. Yeah, because that's but, what I'm still thinking, like, you know, could you make really great handouts? And could you go, I'm going to go hit Michael's and get some really cool props. You know, or I'm going to like, I think there's a lot of interesting things that I wouldn't normally spend time on because it's like, well, I got to either write an article or I've got to, you know, I'm working or whatever. It would be really cool where it's like I can really spend two hours reading that whole section of an adventure again just to get ready for my game. Or I can really, you know, I can make sure I've got everything that I that I that I want for this. So so I'm going to try it out and see what it's like, because, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the one who who heavily pushes the idea that you can spend you know 15 to 30 minutes on a game and then improvise heavily and your game will be better for it but what if you can spend a day what you know what do you get from that and if the answer is i ended up you know watching the americans all day then i'll i'll write that down in an article (laughs) you You know so that's all i've got it's fun awesome having a good time well, good. It sounds like you're having fun. It sounds like Sam's having fun. I know uh, I'm having fun, although I look forward to getting back into D&D. I hope, uh, I hope my group hasn't completely lost the thread and lost interest in the campaign after a month and a half or two months off. So, Can I ask a, like a, a, a two-minute question? I mean, like I, I stopped two minutes something? early, so yes. Yeah. I, so what do you guys think of the new adventures coming out in, in a minute or less? Sam, what do you think? I am... Your silent pause. So I no. So my my thing is that you know I'm not like a Forgotten Realms guy. Everybody knows this, right? Uh, But I'm super excited that an urban adventure is coming out. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of curious about it when he when he you know when it was announced. And Chris Perkins so giddy about it, he like shouted the name five times when he made the announcement. And that makes me excited because I really like Chris Perkins, and I think that he truly loves the game and he truly loves Mm -hmm. what he does. And I think that comes out in his work. Uh, And so. So that makes me excited. But the thing is, I'm not a big Forgotten Realms fan, but I was curious about, well, how come it's only levels one to five? And then, of course, the next day, right. then they announced the whole uh, – well, now there's, okay, 23 levels of Undermountain. Um, running Tomb of Annihilation, I don't know that I want another big giant dungeon. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Yeah. Well, not even just Tomb yeah. of Annihilation. I mean, Tomb of Annihilation is a mega dungeon, and Princes of the Apocalypse is a, is a, yeah, a right. mega dungeon. Yeah. Um, No, I had similar thoughts. Like, on on one hand, like, an urban adventure, that's something we haven't done before. I get why they're going that direction. Because you can sort of see in each adventure they've published that they're they're bringing out one of the classic styles of adventures, right? but yeah, so like I'm, I am a big realms fan, and I'm in totally into like cool. Let's hear more. Let's get some detail on Waterdeep or whatever. Um, you know, then then there was the other sort of uh, semi sort of after the fact announcement of oh yeah, and then very shortly after that, you're, we're going to be hearing some more very soon about other settings, and they're like, well, that's cool. Although I'll point out, we never got a campaign setting book for the Forgotten Realms. We got a lot of adventures, yeah, right? There's a lot of material, though. There's a lot like of material. Circle's, Circle's Adventures guy is pretty Well, solid. there's a lot of material, 
if you want to just play in the Sword Coast, which makes up a pretty small fraction yeah, right. of the Forgotten yeah. Realms. Like, most of the setting has been completely ignored yeah. or, or briefly touched on in Sword Coast Adventures Guide. So, right. um, you know, so there's that's part of me, but I'm also interested in going other places. Um, you know, I, I know some of the people involved in these adventures, and I'm excited to because I know that I – or I expect to see high-quality, interesting work coming from them. Uh, former uh, – Home show uh, a member and friend of the show and and uh, fellow podcaster and peer with you over at uh, uh, with your show Mike yep. uh, James Intercasso worked on on these things yeah um, both of them so so yeah so I mean like there's a lot of things to get me really interested and psyched about these adventures and it also is like okay but is this the the th- big thing that I was waiting for to get me super pumped eh, mm-hmm. we'll see. You know? Yeah, sure. Fair. Fair. We'll we'll see is always a good assessment. Yeah. yeah so my, my feeling is like, um, I, I love that they are community driven products, right? This mm-hmm. is the first time that it feels like, because I, I like all day on Twitter, it was like, oh, and I'm writing a level of Undermountain. You're like, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that every level was done by somebody different. Yeah, it could you be. You know, so there's like 23 yeah. different, which could be a, and a these are disjointed. Yeah, a lot um, of these are the ad the adepts, right? Like yeah, the, well, but it's, it's way more than adepts because yeah, yeah. there weren't there aren't twenty three adepts. Yeah, um, but but I just mean like in terms of remember you know when they came out with that oh we're going to do this new program I mean, these are the right. these are the and I thought okay well what's that going to lead to is that just going to lead to more DM skilled you know right. like yeah, mission writing that was my big criticism yeah. about that. so when they when Watsi was marketing the DM skill my big criticism was they said like well it's your opportunity to write for the Forgotten Realms legally and you're like okay that's great that's that's fair they do take a cut for that mm, uh, right. then they also said and it's a way for you to get visibility for your stuff and you're like. Eh, okay maybe but i'll bet you a lot of stuff's gonna get buried right and and then their other one was and we'll be watching it so for the next exciting people that can join the watsi team that's where we'll be looking and you're like okay now you're selling lottery tickets right (laughs) right and but in this case it's like well a lot of people just won the lottery you know like 25 well, and, people and none of those people are working for watsi but they got no, work free, for watsi right. they have you know they have uh, uh a credit in a hardback book so right. the idea that they can as designers that they can come up with their craziness but then have watsi level resources for editing and page design right. and well, layout and, and it's know, worth noting like awesome. watsi tends to be working on these books far enough in advance that they probably tapped a bunch of these adepts Almost as early as them announcing who the adepts were, you know? Yeah, Uh, James Intercasso said on his blog when they contacted him, it was like early 2017. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, maybe, I don't know. It may have even been before they named him as an adept, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure. They yeah. may, they yeah, may. Yeah, ha- I think, I think that, it might have been because he he said that the um, that what happened is, and again, this is on his blog, so it's public public info, not secret insider shit that he told me. That uh, Chris Perkins, I, or uh, Watsi reached out to him and said, hey, what do you have? And he said, well, I've got these two uh, D&D Adventures League adventures that he did. And they said, oh, OK. And, but they specifically said, what, what stuff do you have in the DMs Guild? Mm. So but, and I think that was before he had the Adept stuff up. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I think that's cool. And to, to me, the idea that you're taking people who are uh, freelance designers and, and obviously huge energy driven fans of the game but you're giving them watsy resources for their stuff well and it's, uh, think- it's and it's worth noting in many ways this is a return to how they used to do business 
I mean, yeah, it used to lot, be it used to be through like, the magazines they would find people, but right, this yeah. is you know they would sort of cultivate this stable of of new people, and then they would hire them as freelancers, and they would do all the stuff themselves, as opposed to the the first couple of years of Five E, which was not that way at all. It was hey, we kind of want to yeah, do a thing. Right. Let's hire a studio and have Green Ronin do it, yeah. or have some you know Cobalt sure. Press do it, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, exactly. this is a return to the to the the older ways. Yeah, they're all new. They're new people. I mean, James, you know, James Hayek is an absolute force in this right. in this world right now. Um, but pretty young guy, right? And, right. and only got started in in fifth edition. Well, um, and I th- and I think a lot of the older freelance guys that they were using a lot back when that was the the format. I think a lot of them moved on to other things at this point because sure. it's been so long of not getting any D and D work. Yeah, They've not started. Me. Well, <laughs> <Absolutely>. right. <laughs> Um, so the other thing so, that I think is so interesting... wait wait so here's my, my uh, just about Dragon Heist I my I would like to have an urban adventure that goes above fifth level mm. just throwing that out there yeah I'll, okay I'll, I'd argue with you a little bit which is at, like at what point when you sort of cross that threshold well like Waterdeep might be the only kind of city where you could be above fifth level and you can't just destroy any threat you're going to come against. Or you're right, destroying like, large chunks of the city every single yeah, time. Yeah, or you're destroying like this. This is this is. I've I've had discussions online with folks too, people that I I know and love and respect, like Teo Sabadia and I kind of disagree about this. That I feel like you know the level of a character sort of matches different things that are going on in the world and the kinds of things that they face. And you you can't just scale up the city. So I'll tell you, Sigil would be one where if you were right. high level. Like that would make perfect sense, you know. And Waterdeep, you could kind of, because like Waterdeep's a pretty big, powerful place. Um, but but generally, when I think like, and and you know, I can't I can't say too much about this adventure <laughs> because I play tested it. Um, right. But you know, it 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 captures that idea of of a smaller, you know. I mean, it says it right on the cover, a smaller heist story. Mm-hmm. Right. It isn't meant to be one of these big epic things that go on. It's not it's it's and they, they said this over and over. Right. It's a it's a much more focused story. And I think there's some value in that, too. They've done big epic stories. I, I wouldn't yeah. I, I don't hate the idea of something small and, and whatever. So that's fine. I would love to see, see like, a I, digital city based adventure. That I would sure. like to see a more sandboxy city then. Yeah, well, I, so the, the, the part of it that I didn't really get into is that they they the book has a whole big gazetteer of Waterdeep. So it's not a there's, sandbox. Adventure. Yeah, there's lots of sandboxy opportunities. Yeah, but there's there's a whole like if you and they they said it in uh, at the at the stream that the intent is you can do like chapter one and two of this thing and then take a year and do other stuff and then come back and finish it. Yeah, you know. So there's 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 a fair bit, but I mean, we'll have to see. But if it's but if you take a year. Yeah. And then you come back and you're with the same PCs, they're going to be above fifth level. Well, we'll yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We, right. we see, will that's, see. That's, that's, what, yeah. that's what I. That's actually what I'm saying is that if you're going to give me a big giant city like Waterdeep, and it's going to be this great sort of place to play around, and yeah, I get that the dragon heist thing itself, like that story, is doable by you know it's completable by levels one to five, but what can I do in the city when I'm seventh, eighth, and ninth level then? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what I want to know. You so go that, to Undermountain so, then. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. No, I'm just, Undermountain, you know, like when it comes to Waterdeep, Undermountain. Right. Said, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Right? That's a different book. That's a different product. It's a different product. It's a different product, it's, a different product but it's, it's the same location. Like, yeah, look at the covers. But it's a mega dungeon. They're part of the product. They're, they're, they're di- yeah, they're different products like Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat. Right. Right, but 
but but if I don't want to do the mega dungeon portion, right? If I want to stay in the city topside, and I want to muck around, then do that. You got a whole gazetteer, and you yeah, have a whole DM. You have right, a whole DM who's real smart. <laughs> oh no, so, I, I get, I get. I, I'm just you asked me what I thought. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, yeah. I'm not. not I thought, right. haven't seen yeah. the product yet. I might look at it and fall in love with it and say, oh, it's perfect that it's one to five. Yeah. And know. at this point, we're largely speculating on. Oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're we're reviewing our speculations on what the, what the product right. will be. So. Yeah, the, the one thing, uh, the, just one other little fact that I think is interesting is the idea that we're going to have like 23 levels of a, of a dungeon that will be uh, uh, AL legal, I think is going to change organized play quite a bit. Oh, yeah. You know, it's essentially like getting 23 new adventures thrown into organized play. So that'll be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. To, and they're and it's set at basically all levels of play. I, you just reminded me of something, too, that I thought was interesting, and that is that someone had made the comment, oh, only 23 levels? I thought Undermountain was enormous. And... W- Someone well, twenty three levels some, is enormous. But, yeah, that's okay, big. But so, someone said, and I don't know if it was a Watsy person or or someone on one of the streams or something. Basically said, well, but there's all there are already other Undermountain products from other editions mm-hmm. that are not negated. So if you add this twenty three levels in fifth edition oh, to what there what there was in fourth edition, well, some of it's got to be overlap. I mean, in addition. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying. Basically, you know, whatever so, room the yawning portal goes you know, to. <laughs> in, sure. In second edition, in second edition, there were two Undermountain boxes. I know. Yeah. I, I have them. I, it's, yeah, I right, bought the so, PDFs. And in fourth edition, there was there was the the hardcover. Yeah. I think it had and, three levels in that one. Yeah, but but they were enormous, right? Yeah. Right. So I, that's all I'm saying is I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was a really good way to say, hey, you know, we're not negating the previous lore about Underbound. I, mean, I can't imagine. So it's a 256-page book with 23 levels, and people are like, that's not big enough. Yeah. Like, seri- like how many levels is right? <laughs> well, I mean, wait, I mean, when you look at Tomb of Annihilation, let me see. There's, uh, if I look at just one level, I just uh, flopped to level three of the tomb. And the descriptions of the rooms go from page 146 to page uh, one half of 157. So uh, nine pages for one level. Right. That's why yeah. I, I, why My, people are saying that's not enough. Well, right. but, but 23 levels, if there are 23 levels at nine pages apiece, and, and under mountain levels have historically been much larger yeah, yeah. than yeah. what you're seeing on, on two like right. as, it, no, as it is they're not going to have any uh, it's going to be an old school dungeon yeah, yeah. where where most of the rooms are blank and the dm's just told fill them in as you want you know well you know 20 23 levels times nine pages is 207 pages yeah and then yeah. and then where's well the and then the intro book? and all sorts of right stuff. but there's I, an adventure I, I, in there too I'm not agreeing with the people who said it's not enough. What I'm saying is you can pack a lot of stuff into like five pages. Yeah, right. And, you know, you could take a giant level of Undermountain and put it in like zones and just pick out, you know, say what the theme of each zone is and then pick out, you know, three like really interesting rooms or talk about the factions that you'll find roaming around that portion. You know what I mean? You can do that kind of stuff in five or six pages mm-hmm. and, and still get 23 levels in a 256 page book. That was way longer than the one minute. Yeah, yeah. That, that, was a, that was a 10 minute well, conversation. Yeah, you asked who I had thoughts. Look did. who no, you're talking really to. Good conversation. Really good conversation. <laughs> I enjoyed it. All right. I think we're going to, we're going to call it then. Uh, This is the end of Behind the DM Screen, and uh, that's it. We're done. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. guys.